If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider your word today, we pray for a better insight into who you are and what kind of relationship that you're calling us into. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are uh, starting a new mini-series here at Avon Hope uh, this February on the subject or the theme of love. You know, uh, love is in the air. It's February. Valentine's Day is coming. And so talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about love. I do want to remind you that you can always go to adventhope.org where you will find uh, back versions, both audio and video, of our previous uh, teaching time at Avent Hope. And so if you miss any of these times together during the, uh, our Love mini-series, you can always go back and check out adventhope.org. Well, how about our text today? Our text is of emphasis. It's a good one. It's a classic one. Now, I've had the opportunity here at Avon Hope to attend a lot of weddings over the years because you all keep falling in love and then you get, decide that you're going you're gonna to get married and then I get the privilege of coming to your a wedding and it is almost without question that you will hear this uh, text. I mean, this is a great uh, wedding text. How many of you who are married had this text read at your wedding? None of you. Never, I should, ne oh, yes, exactly. Maybe I'm thinking only of my wedding. Anyway, I know that you've had it read at your wedding because I've heard it like a hundred times. It's beautiful. It's a great text. It's a, a classic one. And uh, it really kind of expresses the ideal, I think, that we have for, for each other, especially in our, our closest relationships. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. And there's nothing more beautiful than a couple coming together and expressing these ideals on their day of, of marriage, of, of their wedding. Uh, but the text uh, here, the challenge of this text is that it's not just talking about uh, special relationships between two people who care for each other, whether good friends or people who are going to become uh, mates together. Uh, this text is uh, an invitation for everyone to have love for their brother or sister in humanity. It's not just about the special people in our lives. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in essence, is describing how a follower of Jesus will treat other people, what attitude they'll have 
toward other people, an, an attitude of love. He says it doesn't dishonor, talking about love, it doesn't dishonor and love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. These two words describe the relationship or the, the, uh, the feelings one might have toward an enemy even. And so Paul is saying, look, you, uh, love, true love, doesn't dishonor someone like you might dishonor your, your enemy. And it doesn't want thing, bad things to happen to other people. This, this is the language of an en- enemy, and it's reminiscent of Jesus' own teaching. In Luke chapter uh, 6, Jesus said these words, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone step, slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone uh, takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are only good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything Back. And so Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians and Jesus, are in one accord here that this idea of love that we're going to be talking about through February isn't something just relegated to the people that we uh, like, the people who are good, close friends, to those people who we're going to be in a committed relationship to. The invitation of Paul and the command of Jesus is that we're to love even the difficult people, even the people who we may feel like are our, our, our enemies. Love your enemies, Jesus said. So both Paul and Jesus are asserting that it's even the difficult people we are called to be in a loving relationship uh, with. And so, of course, this is not uh, something that's just relegated to the idea of the Bible. People, the idea of of if only the world had more love in it, uh, has been around for a long time, the world would be a, a better place. Uh, this is a, a, an idea I think that many can embrace, whether you're religious or not, that if there's just more love for each other in the world, the world would be doing a lot better than it is. The problem is with actually uh, embodying this. Now, in this passage, there's kind of an implicit warning included. And look what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of humans or of angels... But don't have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's almost like he, he was prepared for what our natural reaction to this message of, hey, you need to be more loving is, is that we will go out and do things that good things for people. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but don't have love, if I'm only a resound, I, I am then only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but don't have love, I gain nothing. Now, interestingly here, Paul is uh, talking about spiritual things, religious things. These are things that religious people uh, might do. They might uh, speak in tongues. They might prophesy about what's to come. They might decide. In fact, if you were a disciple, by the way, in Jesus' day, this is exactly what you would do. If you had someone, a teacher that you were going to follow, you would do things, religious things, and accustom with, that, with what that teacher were to, was to the desire. And that might, again, involve speaking in tongues, or it might involve uh, giving to the poor, or even suffering hardship. And so 
he's talking to religious people about religious things that they might do as an expression of love. But Paul is very clear here. Doing these things are not in and of themselves love. In fact, you could do a lot of good things for a lot of different people and still not be full of love toward them. And so in essence, uh, Paul is inviting us to and warning us to beware of moralism. Beware of just jumping to the doing. Innately, we think, okay, we've got to have more love in our experience, so we're going to go out and we're going to try to do good things for people. The problem is doing good things does not necessarily mean that love will abide in our experience. Love is not only action, but action plus attitude. Action plus uh, attitude. And so that leaves us with a question. Why is it so difficult to have both the attitude of love and the action of love toward other people? What is it that's so challenging about this? And I think there are a couple pretty straightforward responses to that question as to why. Why is love so difficult? First of all, uh, people are difficult. Have you noticed that? People are difficult. You might be difficult. In fact, I bet you are difficult at some point, if you're honest with yourself, right? You're difficult. So I looked up difficult people, having a relationship with difficult people. Here's what I found on the old internet. I googled relationship with difficult people. Are you ready? First of all, it, it identifies four different types. This is one article. Four different types of difficult people. This is why, why is it so hard to have a love for people, the attitude and the action of love? Because they're difficult well, people. First, there are, according to this article, downers. Ooh. Uh, downers are also known as negative Nancys, or, or what did we say this morning? Derek Downers. It used two female names. We don't want to... Men can be downers too, can they not? So we don't... So negative Nancy or Derek Downer. Derek, if Derek is... Any Derek's here we're, or, or Nancy's, we, we don't mean to, to pick you out. But anyway, downers. And you know, you know what downers do. They always have something bad to say. It doesn't matter what's going on. The sun could be shining. The birds are chirping. The downers are going to down people. These... It's hard to be around people who are always downers, right? Okay. All right, this, this article identifies the better thens. It doesn't matter what story that you have, what situation you're telling, they've always got something better, a better, a better story, a better antidote, a better person they're going to talk to you about. Being around people who always have better thens, it's difficult. Those are difficult people to be around. How about the, the, the passives, another category that this article relates. Passive, passives are pushovers. They say one thing to you, and, uh, but then somebody else says something, and they're backing out on what they said to you or whatever. It's difficult to be around, to be friends, to have love with people who are downers, better than passives. Or the last one, how about tanks? Who are, <laughs> is this, 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 this cannot be the, Annette, you're a psychologist. Is this, is, this is not a uh, psychologist word, is it? Tanks. No, okay. Um, i got to check my sources. Tanks. Tanks are known as being explosive, a handful, or bossy. You know any tanks? Maybe you're a tank. How many of you are tanks? <laughs> oh, this is good, because confession. We're also having confession. Tanks. I'll tell you, it's hard to be around tanks, now that you've identified yourselves. But a boom. Anyway. Tanks, difficult people, downers, better than passives, tanks. It, there are difficult people in the world. 
And so having love for difficult people is incredibly challenging. And so that is one of the reasons why uh, we have a difficult people time loving the people. All right, secondly, uh, it's hard to identify with others and to identify with their challenges, to being sympathetic to other people for maybe the attitudes or circumstances that uh, they exist in. So again, why not? Let's go to the, uh, the web. So I looked up three ways to be more sympathetic. Are you ready for this? Here's the first one. So if you're talking to someone, how do you be more sympathetic? I'm, I'm making the case it's hard to be sympathetic. How do you be more sympathetic? Give another person a chance to talk about his or her emotions. Oh, man, disgusting. Who wants to do that? You got to listen to somebody and their other emotions? That's challenging. You guys aren't with me here. I'm joking. I, you know, I'm, hopefully you know that I, well, anyway, the fact that you took that that seriously is making me a little bit nervous about my own ability to be sympathetic. Anyway, giving other pers- person the chance to talk and to be able to listen to them, that's one of the ways in which you're sympathetic. Use body language that expresses sympathy. You know, you want to be engaged when someone is talking with you. Uh, finally, how about this one? Listen first, comment later. Do any of you find that to be challenging? You have to sit and listen. You know, active listening means that when you're engaged in a conversation, you ask someone about how they're feeling, and then you do this amazing thing, you listen to them. That's hard work, by the way. So we have a a challenge being sympathetic and being empathetic with people because it requires a lot of energy, and most of us don't have that much energy to sit around and to really be engaged with people, especially people that we don't naturally get along with or that we're not inclined to listen to. And you think about it, or, 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 or is overtly or outrightly your enemy. I mean, Paul's challenge, Jesus' challenge is to, love for, to, to have love for your en- enemy. In order for you to have love with them, you're probably going to have to sympathize to, to where they got and how they got to be the way they are, and that requires doing some of those thing, these things, and that is innately uh, difficult. So people are difficult. It's hard to identify with others and their challenges. And finally, we live in a time and a society in which it's pretty easy for us to distance ourselves from others that we don't like anyway. We can build little walls, whether it's through social media or whether it's through what, uh, what, what journals or newspapers or news or whatever we read. And so we can, we can create a wall so we only hear things that we like. And we don't actually get to be challenged by people that we don't like or might be our enemies or have a different view than us anyway. And so because of this, we don't engage with people who we don't naturally associate and so with. And so this is an incredible challenge to the idea of having love, love for other people, people who aren't just like us. And so people are difficult. It's hard for us to sympathize sometimes with people and to get to know their challenges and find out why people are the way that they are. And then we live in a time when it's very easy to shelter ourselves from actually having to hear from someone who might be an enemy of ours. And we feel like we don't have the time. And so these are the challenges. And so Paul's invitation, Jesus' command, love, love even your enemy is difficult for us. And so the question then is, what is the a solution? I mean, how do we overcome this? If, if the invitation is to love, love even your enemy, how do we do that 
with the challenges that we face? Well, first of all, there's good news in there. That is that there is one who has already accomplished this. There's one who has done what we could not do. Uh, we're told that Jesus uh, had love for everyone. There's a great story where Jesus is coming to the city of Jerusalem for the last time. He knows he's with his disciples. He's going to go down. He knows what's to, to happen to him, but he gets to a hill where he can overlook the city. And it says that he, as he approached and he saw the city, that he, he wept for the city. And he said, talking to the city, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would, what would bring you true peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They won't leave one stone on the other because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, Jesus knows that he's going to go down into this city, and he knows that he's going to suffer in that city by the leaders of that city, and yet that did not hold him back from having compassion and care and love on the city. Jesus cared about even those who were his enemies. Uh, we're also told that Jesus, unlike the challenge that we face, did not isolate himself uh, from those people who were going to even hurt him. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, we read that since the children had flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He was at weddings, he was at parties, he was at funerals. He lived with 12 guys for three and a half years. They went on a road show together, by the way. I mean, three and a half years. Jesus hit around 30 years old. He chose 12 guys, and they spent the next three and a half years traveling all over the countryside, living together, sleeping together, eating together, doing it all uh, together. Jesus spent time with people. He didn't isolate himself with only people that he liked or he would be associated with. In fact, in his core team of 12, he picked some guys that you wouldn't anticipate him picking, people he probably, someone of his stature, would not normally hang around with or associate with. Jesus did not isolate himself from people who, who thought differently than him. Uh, Jesus also loved difficult people. I mean, if you've read anything about these disciples, you know that they were uh, a handful. They were uh, challenging to be around, and there's many stories about this. My favorite, or one of my favorites, is found in Luke chapter 18, which just embodies like their whole vibe, if you will. So people, it says they were bringing their babies to Jesus. So you imagine like new mom and dad, and they've got, it says, it didn't say children, they bring their babies, cute little babies bringing them to Jesus. It sounds adorable, right? I mean, we've got a lot of cute babies here. Who turns away cute babies? You know who does? The disciples. Look at these guys. When the disciples saw these cute babies with their parents who were glowing, they rebuked them. Who rebukes parents with cute little babies? Bad guys. Bad guys. These, were, these guys were, they were difficult people. They didn't, they didn't get it half the time. I mean, they were arguing with each other. They were fighting with each other. They were turning away parents with their babies. And yet Jesus spends three and a half years living with these guys. Jesus loves difficult people. And finally, uh, we read that Jesus identified with the challenges of others. Jesus had sympathy and empathy for other people. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, uh, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't 
hold on to his godness. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus became accustomed to what it's like to be a human. He didn't isolate himself off, but he came engaged uh, with us. He identified with our challenges. He didn't uh, stand back and just look from afar, but engaged us and got to know what it's like to be a human. And so um, Jesus has done what we cannot do. Where, where, where we try maybe to be more loving, and that lasts for all of, you know, 33 minutes after we leave a worship service on a step. Okay, I was told to be more loving. I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to go out and be more loving. And that dissipates after like half an hour. And somebody, you know, crosses the, the uh, intersection when we're walking past and we like lose our minds or you have road rage or whatever your, your deal is. So just trying harder and getting it together doesn't work for us. But there's good news that because Jesus has, has done what we have not been able to do, we have access to a power that comes from him outside of us. I mean, this is the good news of the gospel story, that because of Jesus' action, because of his ability to love everyone, he didn't isolate himself, he loves difficult people, and he's able to identify uh, with us. As we connect with his action, we are enabled to do things that we cannot do on our own. Now, I was thinking about this, and it made me think of, liquid plumber. I mean, I don't know what, what, what place I was in that I thought of liquid plumber. I don't think we have any drains necessarily that need clogging, uh, but, but liquid plumber. So I'm, I'm going to relate the good news of the gospel and liquid plumber. Are we ready for this? Do we have? A, do we have? Okay, watch this. Watch what happens. To, you, know, you know liquid plumber. You get a drain, a clog in your drain. Do we have the clog? And you pour the liquid plumber in it, and then, okay, let's hit it. But look at this. Look at that grossness. It's disgusting. Oh, I mean, I'm getting cheesy here. Are you? you didn't, uh, this is very. Did you see that? All right. So you know, you put the. It's, there's something disgusting in your drain. All right. Now, I would make this case. Like, look, we all have the capacity love at some level as human beings. It's kind of innate to us, but it's like, a little, it's like a little drip of love that we have the capacity for. And so we use that capacity. This is, we use that capacity for people that we like. We use this capacity for people like family members, even though, I mean, that can be challenging sometimes. But, you know, we use it for family members. Then maybe we find a special someone, and we use that little drip of love for that person and we share that love with just a small group of other people because we have just such a limited supply of it. You, you guys with me here? And part, but the problem is that we have this giant uh, clog that is clogging up our, the full capacity. And the gospel is, the good news of the gospel is that there is a full reservoir of love and joy and peace and patience. And it's just sitting there, but, but our access to it is clogged by disgustingness. So the, the good news of the, the gospel, <laughs> this, this illustration is just, it's crashing and burning. There we go. Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. 
The good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, because he has done what we cannot do, we have access to something that, that gets rid of that clog that's holding us back from the full reservoir of things like love that we need to really love not just the people who are close to us, not just the people that we are inclined to like, not just our family, not just to that special someone who we click with, but to people even that are in our enemies. See, as, as we embrace God's work in Jesus, he's able to unclog the clog, and we are, have access now to things that we didn't have before, this reservoir of love. G- Jesus used a better illustration. First of all, I don't think they had liquid plumber in the first century A.D., although someone can research that, how old liquid plumber is. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a farmer or a gardener, so this is a little lost on me, but I know enough to, I know that you have, and specifically in the context of a fruit, so you think of a, like a grape that is a vine fruit, right? So Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are a branch off of the vine. Now I know that in the vine, you know, there's, there's, there's things that nutrients and so on that get connected uh, to us because we're part of the, the vine. So Jesus, the vine, we're the branch, and then at the end of the branch, there is fruit, delicious grapes, which Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5. He said the fruit of the Spirit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit, the grapes, joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that all of this is coming through the vine. So you vine, you're the branch. If you get cut off from the branch, you don't have access. It's like the blockage. You don't have access, and you're not going to have good fruit. But if you're connected to the vine, then the nutrients from the vine are going to flow through you, and you're going to produce fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And all of this is accessed because of what God has done through Jesus. See, when Jesus came, he lived, he taught, when he died, and when he rose again, this enabled us to have access to this reservoir of love and joy and peace and so on that we will never have on our own. And so our in initial inclination when we hear we need to be more loving or, boy, only if this world were more loving or we all, it was all a more loving place to go out and do good things for people, which is fabulous. Please, go do good things for people. There's a lot of good that needs to happen in this world. But Paul and Jesus are clear. Those doing good things does not equate a love, that love is both action and attitude, and the attitude only comes from Jesus' work on our behalf. And as we tap into that, then God is able to fill us with something we don't have, actual love for people. That's action and an attitude. We might be able to stir up the action on our own. Go do that. Go do good things. Amen for that. But the attitude change, the adjustment to really care about people, that comes from God. And so as we tap in, to what God has done through Jesus on our behalf, we have access to love like never before. And we can start to care about a people, even the people that we are not inclined to like. And listen, if there is anything in this world that we really need, it's love, not just love for people that we like. Love for people we don't understand. Love for, for uh, people who, who may be even against us of compassion to understand where they're coming from. It doesn't mean that we, we are always able to fix everything because we're not going to be able to fix things. But if we have love for people we don't, don't even understand and this love only comes from God, this will be a transformative force in this broken world. 
And this is what God is inviting us into as followers of Jesus, not to be uh, people who just love by action, although that's incredibly important, but also have an attitude of love for people, even difficult people. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. See, that's not going to just happen unless we are filled with something outside of ourselves, that we're going to look at our brothers and sisters in, in humanity and say, I am willing to sacrifice myself on your behalf. If anyone has material possessions, see, it does tie together with action. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Children, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So you have to have the, the actions and the attitude. As God does his work in us, as individuals and as a community, he can empower us to have love, even for those people who are difficult to love. Love comes from God, First John says. Everyone who has love has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God's God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Our only hope is living through Jesus, is getting connected with that reservoir so that we can experience true love and joy and peace and patience that only comes from God. And as we embrace this work, he can transform us. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is inviting us into a relationship with this broken world that includes the capacity for us to love difficult people, even our enemies. May he do that work in us today so that we can become God's people of love.